Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. Welcome back to episode eight of Modern Ancestral Mamas. And today we have a very special guest on our show. We are going to be interviewing Renee Coley from Raising Generation Nourished. And so for those that are not familiar with Renee, uh, she's been in the Weston A. Price or the ancestral space for a long time. And I remember when my kids were babies, her book, Nourished Beginnings, was one of the books that I bought to sort of get me started on feeding my kids. So go ahead, Corey. I want you to introduce Renee to us. Okay. So um, I'm just going to give you a quick bio, and then I'm going to say something else on my own. (laughs) Okay. So Renee Coley is the founder of Raising Generation Nourished, a blog where she shares her passion for raising the next generation to know where their food comes from and how real whole foods can have a positive impact on their physical and mental health. She is the author of Nourish Beginnings Baby Food and the Little Lunchbox Cookbook. Renee lives with her husband and three children in Spring Lake, Michigan area. And so without further ado, welcome Renee. Thank you. It's great to be here. Okay, so I wanted to add that um, I told my husband this the other day when we were driving. I was like, you will not believe who we're going to have on the show this weekend. And he goes, who? And I was like, Renee Coley. And he's like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, but I do. I was like, this is like, this is like, I was like, I can't even describe to you how excited I am. And he goes, well, just keep it cool. Don't fangirl. And I was like, no, I'm going to fangirl. It's just going to happen. I love it. I love it. It's great to be here. This is your blog got me like started when I started with trying to get going with my kids. I like your blog was where I went every time. I appreciate it. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. It's hard. Sometimes you're on this side of the computer and you don't always see the people on the other side. So it's good to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. I'm really excited yeah. about this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. I actually haven't, I haven't done this since probably pre COVID. It was the last podcast that I recorded. So it's been a while. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I know it. It's just like everybody sort of took a break. It was just sort of weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And today we are going to talk about nourishing tweens. And we're just going to talk all about feeding kids between the ages of eight and 13 ish and what what that's like. And we might even touch if there's time on a little bit of parenting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah. So Renee, Corey and I like to start every episode with a question related to the topic of this show. And since we're talking about nourishing tweens, we wanted to ask you, okay, this is getting a little personal, but yeah. do you remember any, do you remember what kind of food you ate when you were that age? So sure. I don't know, yeah, 9, 10, 11, 12, what kind of food were you eating as a kid growing up? Sure, sure absolutely. Well, I'm, I would say that I'm your typical 80s kid. 
in 90s teen. So you can um, imagine, you know, Cheerios at breakfast with skim milk. I mean, we're talking the 80s. So that like fat was the fat was not okay. So everything was low fat or we I grew up on skim milk and Cheerios for breakfast. I, I actually have thoughts sometimes thinking back, how did I even get through a school day on skim milk and Cheerios? I have no idea. Um, so just picture the standard American diet um, in the 80s and 90s. So I would say maybe a step above that. I do remember my mom cooked. Um, we had dinner every night as a family. It wasn't always from a box. I do remember meatloaf. I do remember, you know, regular home cooked meals. But we're, you know, we're talking salads with the uh, ranch dressing from the store and a glass of skim milk <laughs> on the side. <laughs> so you're you're very typical '80s and '90s kid. I did not grow up. Um, knowing where my food came from. I did not grow up learning how to cook. In fact, I don't even have, um, I don't have a culinary background or degree. Um, I went to school for physical therapy. I did not have any sort of culinary background. Um, and we can get into that later. I know you were going to ask about how all of this came, came about, but um, I was your very typical 80s and 90s kid. Um, everything was very low fat and um, processed and um, yeah. Wow. Corey? <laughs> um, I don't even remember. <laughs> like, I don't think I could tell you one specific thing. I know we, my mom did cook too. Um, and that might have been around the time when we, she started getting into um, nourishing traditions and stuff. So I know we were eating whole wheat things and um, I remember she made these muffins one time. God bless her. I feel so bad for this now, but she made these like banana <laughs> muffins and um, there was like big old chunks of smushy bananas in them. And I was like, uh, mom, I think you didn't mash the bananas enough. So <laughs> that was really sweet of me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will remember. say that, I will say that my mom I know that my mom did everything she was told so back in the 80s and the 90s I usually try and preface this that I was I would say that my mom did everything that doctor told her to do back then they were telling you that low fat was the way to go they were telling you that skim milk was the way to go they were telling you that anything that as long as it just didn't have fat in it so those low fat pretzels, they're fine as long as they, you know, whatever. Um, she did what she was told to do. And um, so she did her very best with what she knew at the time. And um, I, it's, it's good to see that things have evolved to, um, to where they are now. In fact, she makes her own bone broth these days. And she, um, you know, she, she has hopped on the, the ancestral train. That's for sure. Wow. Oof. Um, so Corey's heard this a million times. Um, but I, I'm also, you know, a product of the standard American diet pretty much, except my mother was an immigrant. So there was a little bit, she grew up on an ancestral diet, like pretty much everything that you hear from nutrition and physical degeneration, like those traditional foods. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when she came to the States, she was totally like shocked by processed foods and also kind of intrigued by them. So like I grew up eating 
strudels and pop tarts and things like that for breakfast. But at the same time, she was still, she was like one of the first people buying organic produce and she was getting raw milk from a farm and our eggs from a farm. So like I would have strudels for breakfast with a glass of raw milk. (laughs) Um, So it didn't really, and I didn't know anything about the low fat trend at all until I went to college and my roommates were talking about low fat and everything they bought was low fat. Mm. And I remember being surprised because growing up, it was never, it never was discussed that like we needed to eat low fat. Um, But yeah, Hmm. that's my, I remember my roommates in college had like snack well things. I was like, this this is like what my dad would eat when he was feeling healthy. <laughs> I, uh, that's gross. I I yeah, it it is a really fascinating and and just like bizarre phenomenon of, you know, I I got to college and it was like we would go grocery shopping together and my roommate would say, nope, everything has to be low fat. And her dad mm-hmm. was actually an ER doctor, um, <laughs> in the city that we lived in, and you know he was the one who pushed low fat everything and he was super thin and what you would think is fit um but i don't know yeah crazy yeah um but anyway we actually we kind of want to start from the beginning renee we want to hear a little bit more about you and your story and how you got started on this path and uh you know, just ignore the screaming children in the background. <laughs> I think they're pretending to be lemurs or something. I don't know. So. I actually didn't even hear it. Okay, I, good. I have a filter they are... for that, 100%. No, I can hear it now, but okay. I just have a filter for it. It's really not a yeah. big deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I try my best, but <laughs> we just keep it real on this podcast. It's totally fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. Yeah, actually, um, we, we can start from the beginning because really the the whole reason um, that I started eating real food was because of the start that I had. So you can imagine the first two decades of my life um, growing up on the standard American diet and picture those teen years where fat and really all three macros, but considerably fat was um, made to look bad. So it was not in my diet at all. And what do we need for proper hormone development? We need fat, right? And so during those years of uh, my hormone development, and probably just about every other child in the 80s, and into the 90s, um, those hormones don't have a chance to truly develop the way that they're supposed to develop, right? And so I found myself, and, and, then, and then you couple that with a type A, very driven, um, go get them personality. Um, so, <laughs> i.e., stress. Um, <laughs> I found myself in my 20s, a very driven, but very sick 21, 22, 23 year old. Um, and I found myself actually with a with a Hashimoto's diagnosis, and and that can come that it's a autoimmune thyroid disorder. Okay, and so you that can come from we won't even talk about where the root of that comes from. It can come from multiple different environmental factors and and uh, lifestyle factors, but the bottom line was I was pretty sick, and. Um, after uh, you know some time in the traditional medical community, 
um, I just wasn't getting anywhere. And, and I'm a results person. I'm that type A driven. This is not working. And so I started looking elsewhere. Um, I started working with more of a natural approach uh, type of a practitioner. Um, and the diet was part of some of what I started changing. And it was actually the easiest part. I know sometimes people think, especially if you don't know how to cook, like I had no idea how to do that that would be the hardest part, but it was something I can do. And, and when you're someone who's the jump in with both feet kind of a person, um, that's what you do. So they told me this, this, and this, which was the exact opposite of what I had always been taught. And they and, and what I was doing was not working, right? So I'm going to make a change because, you know, they, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? What I was doing was not working. And so what did I have to lose? I started working on what I was eating. I started learning a little bit more. I found the Weston Price um, a website back then. I think that was probably the only thing really um, in publication that um, that even talked about this kind of stuff. I, you know, so we're talking early to, you know, <laughs> a long time ago, 20 years ago. Um, and the food changes made a huge difference. So I could see it with my own two eyes, how just simple food changes, how getting rid of the processed stuff, how introducing real whole foods, simple. I mean, the very first thing I learned how to do was make a whole chicken in my slow cooker. It was the, I didn't even really know how to probably turn the oven on. I don't even really remember using my oven, uh, my stovetop other than maybe making an egg every now and again. I learned how to make, I, I was afraid of the oven. I didn't start with a roasted chicken. I threw it in my slow cooker because I learned how to, that's how I learned how to do it. And it started with just simple whole foods. And it made a huge difference. I could think better. I could sleep better. Um, I could work my long hours better. I was starting to see some improvements along with some other things that my more naturally approached physician was doing with supplements and medications and stuff. Um, I was starting to see my thyroid numbers improve um, and that made a huge difference. And so just with that, just seeing that, I remember even before I even had a kid, before my husband and I were even thinking about having kids, I remember saying, I'm going to do this differently for my kids. Uh, they're going to grow up knowing where their food comes from. They're going, I'm going to do it better with them because I want them, I don't want them to have to go through this because it's, it's awful when you're feeling so sick, when you're that driven kid person and you can't even barely get out of bed, when you can barely function. And I don't, I just didn't want that for my kids. Um, and so after I had my first baby, um, so this would be a number of years later. I, I had my firstborn when I was 29. Um, so I had been already in the real food world for a number of years at that point. So I already had an idea of what I wanted to do with her. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of resources out there, really. There was the Weston Price. There were a number, a few, you know, a handful of blogs. Nourish Kitchen. Jenny is one of my uh, very first mentors. She's still a very good friend of mine today. She, like her blog and you know, a handful of others where you could get this kind of information, but not a whole lot on feeding kids in particular. 
Um, and so, you know, I just started doing what I, I, I just started feeding her the way I wanted um, her to be able to eat as she got older. She just ate at the table that we were eating at because I wanted her to be eating these ancestral foods. I was mostly uh, using the Weston Price um, guidelines for how to feed her. And so, um, you know, by the time I got to, well, you know, let, let me back up a little bit. I was, I had probably my, by the time I had my second born, I had some friends that knew what I was doing, knew that I had some recipes. They would occasionally ask me for recipes. And I started writing recipes for a friend of mine on her blog. She just had a, a mommy blog that did some reviews. Um, and she's still a really good friend of mine at, to this day. But I, I ended up branching off and doing my own thing um, right around when I had my third born. And so that's where Raising Generation Nurse came. I just, um, I was seeing the difference it was making. Um, and even if it was just the one email a week or, or um, knowing that I was getting recipes out there to help moms do what I had been looking for, because I just, there wasn't a whole lot of resources back then. So we're talking over 13 years ago. Um, and so to be able to have a resource out there, some of it was just to log my own recipes. <laughs> like I just started to, to keep track of the own, my own stuff, the stuff that I was using all the time. Um, and so I had, you know, my own resource really. Um, but that's kind of how it came about. I, I really just wanted to make a difference and make sure that I wanted, it first started with my own kids, right? It started in my own home. I wanted it different for them. And then I started seeing what it did for them. I saw how much healthier my kids were, even compared to some, some of the people around me. I could see the difference in what it did when I was feeding my kids what I was feeding them compared to some other kids that were maybe still starting their babies on rice cereal. I saw how constipated those babies were compared to mine who really weren't. And um, so I knew that getting this blog going um, having the the resource and just getting the information out there was um, something that I had to do. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think that that ties back in with your mission really well, which is, you know, your goal is to educate the future generation yeah. on, you know, how, where their food comes from and how properly prepared and real whole foods can really make a difference for their health mm -hmm. and their lives. Yeah, absolutely. So that's so cool. I think we should take a pause, though, and let you um, say how old your kids are now. And because yeah. um, you've been doing this for how, how long have you been? How long has your blog been up? Yeah. So my nine-year-old. So I, she was a baby. So nine years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then Gosh, that'll be 10. It'll be 10 years this spring. That's pretty incredible. I guess Congratulations. I like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's pretty milestone. incredible. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So um, when was your first book published? Uh, Nourish Beginnings was published in 2014. Um, my actually my youngest, um, I want to say she was two. Um, so, so we were, we were heading out of the baby food season. Um, she, she was a toddler when I started writing Nourish Beginning. And um, it, it, it again kind of goes back to that resource thing. Like there just wasn't a lot of resources on 
real simple whole foods and how to feed a baby with, you know, there's lots of baby food books, right? A lot of how to make baby food purees and how to do that, how to, you know, but there wasn't a whole lot that was centered around um, just nutrient dense, that Weston price, ancient tradition type of a, of a focus. And so um, as I was coming out of that, my last one, you know, years of doing what I had been doing, I really just really need to write this down because what I did worked, you know, my firstborn, I, I did make the baby food and there is some baby food puree type um, uh, recipes in the really front part of that book. Yeah. But what I had really noticed with my la- my second one and, and particularly with my third one, when my hands were so busy, the making of the baby food, just like, I don't even know that she had very many baby food purees, quite frankly, she just ate from the table that we were eating. And what I found was that actually that created a palette. All three of my girls had this palette as different as they are, and they are incredibly different personalities. Their palettes are super broad. And it's because we started so young with just eating the family food from the table. And so I wanted to create a book that that focused on showing you how to just you didn't have to just make baby food. We can make the food that you're going to make for dinner and then adapt it to baby so that they're used to eating that stir fry that you're making or they're used to eating that, you know, um, beef roast dinner that you make every Sunday night. And so that's how that book kind of came about. Yeah. So 2014 is actually when my first was born. And so I, you know, that book was brand new when I got it. And at the time, I want to say that was, it was either, it was your book and the Nourishing Traditions baby book. I call it the purple book. Um, (laughs) Those were pretty much the only resources that I, that I knew of. Mm -hmm. And then with my second, I also discovered super nutrition for babies. And I always, uh, actually anytime I have a friend that is having a baby, I gift, uh, <laughs> nourish beginnings and super nutrition for babies and like some bibs and stuff. And that's kind that's of like beautiful. my gift because yeah. I want people to realize that they don't have to follow the conventional route for feeding their baby's food because what you feed them as a baby, you're right. makes a huge difference with their palate and yeah their health for the rest of their life. But yeah, actually, while I was looking through your questions earlier, I I had the thought, you know, I hope that the the listeners that you guys have, um, don't look at the title tween and teen, and, and they have a baby at home and decide "Eh, that one, I'll I'll save that one for later. Because um, really, a lot of what I'm when I'm looking at your questions, a lot of the the way that I do things started at one and two. And the reason that it's so much easier with my teens doing what we do is because we started. So like, so I'm just hoping that your, your listeners that have the babies and have the little ones at home, that maybe they don't just pass by this one because it says tween and teen, um, because there's going to be some, um, some things that I say that will be very, very relevant. Um, to your moms that have the the little ones at home too. We will we make sure little... to put that in, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in show notes so that people yeah. know. Don't skip it, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, so wait, real quick. Yeah, your, your kids are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, my youngest is nine and a half. 
I have an 11 year old who will be 12 this spring. And then my 13 year old will be 14 this spring as well. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thick of that tween years. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it. We're, we're hanging in. <laughs> I mean, literally, quite frankly, literally all three of them are within either tween or teen because the girls really start that pre-puberty tween stuff right around the age nine, 10. Um, and the, the boys are maybe a couple years behind that. I would say, you know, boys are more pre-puberty. They say puberty for boys is more like 11 to 16. Um, and so you may not be seeing some of these um, tweeny, hormony type stuff in your boys until a little bit later. But um, any of the moms out there that have girls, any of those little things that you're seeing that you're kind of step, taking a step back and going, whoa, where did that outburst come from? Or, whoa, okay, all of a sudden they're, you know, wanting to question me or whatever. If, you know, right around the age of nine and 10, those hormones are starting to fling around a little bit. <laughs> yeah, my so oldest is 11 and the other night yesterday he had a complete mental breakdown about mustard being on his hamburger just like yeah. oh gosh yeah <laughs> starting this is cool <laughs> i so i had a i had a similar one friday morning and it was about a quesadilla and I remember thinking in my head, it's never about the quesadilla. Like, mm -hmm. this is not about the quesadilla. It's not about the mustard. You know, like this right. is this is totally bigger emotions that just have to Absolutely. come out. We <laughs> actually had um, for middle school our, at our school's middle school orientation when you come in as a new sixth grader. So now I, right now I have a sixth grader and an eighth grader. So the very oh, first wow. time I win for a sixth grade orientation, um, our principal says, he's just talking about, we're actually in a Montessori environment. So they were, they were talking about, uh, they typically talk about planes of development and what, um, what you're expecting to see in different planes of development. And, and he's, he actually has this graphic where it compares the tween and teen, the middle schooler to a toddler, um, their brain structure and their brain, what their brains are going through is, and what you see in them, it's really like having a big toddler, <laughs> They really do. It's like going back to, I mean, you think of all those toddler tantrums that you had about a broken banana or the sock, the sock is too tight yep. or whatnot. Yep. It's just on a different level because you, you know, they're a little bit older, obviously, but you're going to have some of those same little, those uh, little meltdowns over some things when they're tweens and teens too. That's so funny. Well, I mean, in, since we're comparing tweens to toddlers, you know, similar to toddlers, they go through a phase of like picky eating or selective sure. eating. Um, and actually their caloric needs go down. They don't really need as many calories, but I'm wondering, is it different for tweens? Do they start ramping up their food? Um, are they right. eating differently? Do right. they need like more carbs or more protein or like, do you, have you seen any specific things that teens or tweens need more than like other age groups? Yeah, absolutely. That um, you are going to see a significant food increase. Um, and I would say it, that is a little bit different than a toddler. So a toddler does kind of their, their, uh, their need is more stretched out. So I would say like as a toddler, I remember taking meals and breaking up lunch into like first lunch 
in second lunch. <laughs> like you're taking the meals and you're sort of like spreading it out. I remember doing one of these podcasts a long time ago where we talked about feeding toddlers. And I said, you know what? Take that breakfast, give it to them the way you want to give it to them. Whatever they don't finish, wrap it up. And that's morning snack. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how toddlers eat. Um, teens and tweens actually do have a significant increase in their um, the amount that they need to eat. But I would say that what I have been surprised about the most is, yes, they need the fats. And we talked about that because of hormones. Our hormones need fats in order to you know function properly. Um, but I actually feel like they need a lot of protein. I have noticed my girls um, a little bit more satiated and a little bit more even when they're getting a good amount of protein at every meal. Um, I would envision now I'm and I'm definitely will preface this and say I'm not an expert on the nutrient. I'm not a nutritionist. I am not a dietitian. Um, I would imagine boys are probably even more so as their muscle development is happening into, you know, they genetically, hormonally, just statistically, they are going to have a very different nutrient need um, as they get more muscular um, with their hormone differences with the testosterone and stuff. I have seen with my girls they, the need for um, more protein. I see their moods um, not only better with making sure that they're getting fat at every meal, but making sure that there is enough protein in their lunch boxes, um, making sure that there's enough protein really at every meal. Um, but a lot, and it doesn't have to be fancy. Like we're not talking protein bars. I don't even, I've never bought a protein bar in my life. I would probably go broke if I did. Um, I'm talking very simple protein sources and egg. Uh, actually I should, I know eggs are kind of a hot topic right now because they're so expensive. I don't know about where you guys live, but they are, um, sort of, I know that's kind of a hot topic right now, so I won't use eggs, but maybe, you know, just having some extra meat around, um, having some extra trail mix for them to grab a handful of, um, and, and making sure that all of those, the meals actually count, um, that that helps. But yeah, they, they definitely, they can definitely, uh, well, I would say we went for a number of years without really needing bedtime snacks as long as they had a really good dinner. And I would say that my 13 year old and 11 year old regularly ask for food before bed, like, like they were toddlers, like, uh, like not even joking, just like when they were toddlers. They just have a, a higher nutrient need right now. They just they just need more food while they're growing. Wow, you ready for that, Corey? <laughs> and that's and that's really what have. I mean, they eat great. Like they, I really have no complaints. That's with having a full dinner. <laughs> so wow. Okay, so that's a full dinner, and then after dinner, they still need. We more call, food. my husband and I call it second dinner. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. how much are they eating for a? a so we're talking like. Um, well, my, my, uh, my 13 year old usually, so lately what I've been doing is I, I, I actually do a whole chicken separately from Sunday dinner. I will make a whole chicken just for the week mm -hmm. for lunch boxes and for picking at for me, for my lunches. But lately she's been eating it on, she will actually, and this is her choosing. I swear it's not me. She will choose to make a, a salad with chicken on it. Mm -hmm. And she just um, she has this special dressing that she likes to make and it's full of olive oil and, um, she'll, um, so that's kind of what she does. My 11 year old will, will grab an avocado. 
Okay. Um, and so it's not like they're having a whole huge other meal. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally it feels like it. <laughs> they'll, they'll finish and then go back for more or, or whatnot. But I do tend to just let, I, they, they do listen to their bodies quite well. So I, if they're saying they're hungry, they're, they're hungry. I mean, that's even impressive what they're choosing to eat. It's not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a, a piece of fruit yeah. or maybe, I, I don't know, just some ice cream or something. Like, yeah. they're actually picking. And, you know, if they do ask food. for something, my middle one will be the one that will usually say, I want something sweet. And so we'll talk about, hey, listen, when you're craving something sweet, that usually is your body saying, I need carbohydrates because that's energy. You, you, carbohydrates are not the enemy. And we need to be very careful about that in the time frame we're in right now, because we're very close in this where we where we are in time right now is very similar to how the 80s vilified fat. We're vilifying carbohydrates a lot right now. And um, these kids need energy. They are growing so rapidly and real food carbohydrates are a great source of energy for these growing kids. And fruit is not the enemy either. Now, do I want her to just maybe have a banana before bed? Well, you know what? Maybe let's have a banana and that scoop of avocado, or let's put a little peanut butter on the banana, or let's have a handful of trail mix with that banana. Um, But if she's saying she wants something sweet, I'm not denying that from her at all. That's her body saying, I need energy, an energy source because I'm burning through it so fast. Um, and so we listen to that and do it in a healthy way. Um, but that's, that. you know, that's another way that you're, you know, the, the moms that have the little ones, the reason that my kids are grabbing for an avocado at, at bedtime is because when they were one and two, that was their bedtime snack. Mm. And so they're, they are making a lot of these choices based on, that, that was what they got when they were littler. Now, for the ones that didn't start this real food thing until the kids were a little bit older, they're, they're just going to eat what's in the fridge. So, yes. so if that's all you got in the fridge, that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to eat. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a smoothie at night. I don't see a problem with that. If they're, you know, wanting something sweet and kind of like ice cream-esque, let's make a smoothie. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. My kids make smoothies. Um, actually my daughter made smoothies this yesterday morning and then there's a bunch left over. So she made popsicles. And then this morning she's like, Hey, um, can me and my sisters have popsicles for breakfast? And I was like, absolutely. Oh no. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) Literally just the smoothie that you made. Right. It's a hundred percent just this frozen smoothie. (laughs) There was also, there were popsicles in the freezer that somebody had brought over that were like, not, I need to just throw them away. But that's what I thought she meant. And then I realized that she didn't even know they were in there and that she meant the smoothie. Popsicle, yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Um, all right. So uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for saying the, the carbs thing, because I think this is something that I've run into over and over and over with um, my Instagram followers. I'm just like, guys, we have to stop villainizing um, carbs and grains and gluten. And I know, you know, there are people that have gluten sensitivities, but like, if that's not an issue for you, then there are, there are ways to, to, you know, treat grains that make them digestible and make them actually really good for us. 
Absolutely. Especially yeah. for our kids. Um, okay. So I know you, you're, do all of your kids have a gluten and dairy sensitivity or just a couple of them? Right. So actually, uh, my kids actually don't have any food allergies. My oh, okay. oldest does not tolerate dairy that isn't raw. Um, I mean, and that's about it. So we do. So I will, I will, um, I will talk about why my blog is gluten-free, why my cookbooks are gluten-free. And the reason for that really is it's actually because of me. So with my, um, with Hashimoto's, with a, an autoimmune thyroid disorder, the body actually, the proteins in gluten and the proteins that your thyroid are made of actually look very similar in protein, like the little protein chains or whatever you call them. They actually look very similar. So when I ingest gluten, actually nowadays, I don't even react to gluten anymore. I can actually ingest gluten. But if I have gluten over a number of days, my thyroid numbers tank. They look terrible. And it's because my body actually starts attacking because it th thinks that it's thyroid because I have an autoimmune thyroid. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. My body sees my thyroid as the enemy because I have an autoimmune disorder. So it attacks my thyroid. So when I take gluten in, because it has a similar protein, it attacks that as well. So it makes my autoimmune numbers kind of crummy. Okay. My, so it's the girl, not your I'm daughter's. Right. It's not so your daughters, yeah. there, no. So, so really it's kind of by default that I have them off of gluten. They will do it if they go to a friend's house or if they go out to a restaurant with grandma or something like that, and they don't have any digestive issues. I do see a little bit of, um, I feel like it makes, um, one of my girls a little bit foggy. Um, just like, just feel tired and sluggish if she has a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say too that one of the reasons that I just keep it out of the house in general is because the what I have from a thyroid standpoint is very genetic. Yeah. Literally every woman in my family has it. And so I'm just being very careful with them um, at this point while their hormones are developing, while, while their organs are developing, while everything is still growing and changing. I'm just being really careful with them. Um, as far as that's concerned. So they just, they're, it's kind of by default. It's, it's not really in the house. I am actually just for the record, a very huge fan of, um, you know, sourdough and einkorn and all of that. I mean, I tried all of that, believe me, like I, I want to be like the sourdough. Like I actually enjoy, it's very cathartic. I love making sourdough. It just, it gluten makes my thyroid numbers junk. And so I just, it just can't be here. So I'm a huge fan of raw dairy as well. Um, but again, dairy makes my thyroid numbers junk. And so, um, you know, we just, it, it's just not in our house, but I'm a huge fan of those things. So if you can tolerate raw dairy and you can, um, you know, tolerate a good quality, you know, sourdough or einkorn in your baking and whatnot, um, I, I think that that's great. That's, yeah, that's great that, or very interesting that you've noticed that your daughter can tolerate the raw dairy, but not the conventional. Oh dairy. yeah. Yeah. Not absolutely. Surprising, obviously. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. But yeah. That's the case and it's, in my house is, too, for sure. Yeah. And it's harder to get, uh, so in Michigan, you have to have a cow share. Yes. So I was it's, it's pretty expensive. And we, we did do, actually when the girls were little, um, I, we did our cow share and we drove the hour to get the <laughs> every single week. And, it's a huge commitment. It's just a little bit different um, where we live in the state. So 
Michigan is, I'm, I'm sure you know this, it's, it was the first state to pass the pasteurization laws. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very yeah. much against raw milk. Yeah. So you, yeah. you're in one of the hardest states. It's it's tough. I mean, we yeah. you can find grass fed beef anywhere. You can get cow shares and you can we actually have a lot of access to um, really good quality meat um, and really good, you know, quality eggs. And we have beautiful farmers that follow all these great practices, at least on the west side of the state. I'm not actually I'm, I'm not real familiar with the east side of the state. But you, you, we have a lot of access to that. But raw dairy is, is tough to get here. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, I want to kind of circle back to when you were talking about, we were talking about carbs and um, that conversation because, you know, your kids are right around the age range when body image, I think, is this, yeah. you know, concern over body image is starting to become something that they're thinking about. and. Sure. I'm kind of wondering, have you seen that with your girls? How have you approached that with them as they've gotten older? Uh, yeah. yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I would say from just from my experience, I haven't seen a whole lot of, oh, I look fat. I do remember. I remember doing that as a kid. I don't remember exactly how old. I will say that I was in seventh grade when um, seventh grade health class they took a caliper, cal- fat caliper thing out and pinched the back of your arm to find out what? the percentage of body oh, fat. Oh, yeah. Seventh grade health class. Okay. Oof. And that was like the beginning of the end for me. Um, oh they taught us God. how to, yeah, seventh grade. You don't tell any seventh grade girl she has an ounce of body fat on her because that will wow. screw her mind up. <laughs> and it did mine as well. If it hadn't have been for really good parenting, I probably would have been borderline anorexic. I remember I was like measuring out and counting calories and because they were showing us how to do all this in seventh grade. I don't think they do that anymore. And my girls are actually at a, a pretty, um, I don't really want to call it sheltered. It's just a little bit different than a public school. It's, it's, a, it's a charter, but it's like very Montessori focused. It's very, they're not in a traditional public school. So I haven't actually seen a whole lot of um, peer pressure type body image stuff as of yet. And my girls do come to us and talk to us about everything. So I haven't seen a whole lot of that as of yet. But I will also say that I think that starting with body awareness very young, um, by empowering them to know what's going on in their bodies is really powerful. So you know, when they're really little to help them connect the dots on how certain foods make them feel. Not that we're going to vilify sugar or we're going to vilify going to a party and having this or that. Um, Because I think it's important to go to a party and celebrate. But I also think it's important to help them realize how that food made their body feel and help them connect those dots because they're not going to get that that cake with the bright blue frosting made their stomach hurt or made them have kind of a crummy attitude later and kind of fly off the handle. And as they've gotten older, um, from a body awareness standpoint, you know, I do, uh, I'll give you a, for example, because in our school, they have a fundraiser all year long where uh, Wednesdays is pizza day and they, uh, the school, you can buy a slice of pizza from Domino's for two bucks or something like that. And um, 
you know, that's, that's tough, right? Especially for middle schoolers who are seeing their peers and their, you know, whatever. And um, it's interesting, you know, we've never done it. So, some of it because I can't afford to buy at $2 a slice for three, for three kids times however many pieces of pizza they would probably eat. Like that's insane. I would never be able to afford that. Um, but clearly the, the nutritional uh, standpoint from, I don't really want them having Domino's pizza every single Wednesday. Um, yeah. But they, they have made the, the, they have without any direction from me have made comments on Wednesdays about how much more behavior issues they see in the kids in the afternoon on these pizza Wednesdays. Without me saying anything, they have seen that. My two middle schoolers have noticed that some of the kids that tend to bring those kind of things to school and eat those kind of things on a day in day out basis struggle with acne struggle with behaviors or are falling asleep during the afternoon in class. They're seeing that I'm not even pointing it out because I'm not even there, but they're seeing that. And I think it's because we've kind of made that connection between what we're putting in our bodies and what is coming out of our bodies. That's that fuel matters. And we can, you know, go ahead and go to the party and have the piece of Domino's pizza with your friends uh, for the, for the party. But, you know, every, every single Wednesday, probably not a great idea. Okay. So, um, take like a couple steps back from that. What is, how are you having these conversations with your, um, say elementary school kids or even your, your teen tween kids, you know, to help them recognize the feelings that their bodies are, um, experiencing, but in a way that's not you know, saying that, that these foods are bad. Like, wh- right. give me an example of this conversation. Okay. So let's start with, with the toddler. Okay. So when we have these, um, and I, I actually, I'm going to back up. Let's not start with a toddler. Let's start with an older toddler. Cause you can't really reason with age two. <laughs> uh, you so let's start with like a three, probably four-year-old for boys, three-year-old for girls from like a language standpoint, three, four years old. And they, um, you go to the birthday party. Uh, you know what? Let's not do a birthday party. I'm sorry. Um, let me think here a minute. I'm going to give you a pause because you're going to have to probably edit this out. That's okay. Um, I threw this one at you out of the blue. Yeah, that's okay. I'm thinking. <laughs> All right. So let's say you've got your three, four-year-old and um, they, you, you serve the lunch. Okay. And it's some cubes of cheese and some crackers and some pieces of chicken and some sweet potatoes and a few slices of apple. Okay. And, and they take, you know, a couple of bites and they run off and play. That's fine. You know what I had, I, my, <laughs> two of my toddlers ate all of their meals in a little helper stander at the counter. For, for years. Most toddlers are not going to sit at a table. It's very common. They're going to get up. They're going to get down. Um, I would wrap that plate up, throw it in the fridge. Next time they, you know, and they might not even come to me and say, hey, I'm hungry because a three-year-old's not going to connect that dot. 
they're going to have a meltdown, right? They're going to throw themselves on the floor because something didn't go right or they didn't get their way and they're going to freak out about something that was really minor, okay? So I'm going to pull that plate back out. Hey, Claire, guess what? I know that you're feeling really frustrated right now and, and you're kind of feeling out of control. Some of that is probably because you're hungry. You feel that in your tummy right now that you're kind of feeling like you're, it feels empty. Your tummy is hungry. Are you feeling kind of tired in your head? Let's have a little bit more to eat. Here, I'll sit down with you and you take a bite and I'll take a bite because toddlers and babies and really kids in general are social eaters. Um, we weren't meant to be like, you know, we were meant to kind of live in community. If you want to talk about ancestral or whatnot, we ate as a community. We sat down together as a community. Little kids, you can't expect them to sit at a table and eat by themselves. They're not going to do it. Eat off your plate. Eat, eat off, let them eat off your plate. Um, they, they eat community. So sit down and take bites with them and, and then help them see how much happier they are later. Um, if we're talking about elementary school kids, and they get in the car after school and they have that meltdown, right? They get in the car and they freak out because so-and-so didn't play with them on the playground or they didn't get to play this certain game at gym that they really wanted to play. And they completely melt down. And now is not the time, the, the time to have the conversation in the car while you're trying to drive home. Um, but you get home and you see that the lunchbox didn't get eaten or at least the components in the lunchbox that would probably contribute to them having a really good afternoon didn't get eaten. And so you give the elementary school kid a little snack, let them calm down a little bit. And then the conversation goes something like this. Hey, Claire, I noticed that you didn't eat everything in your lunchbox. What happened at lunch today? And it's not condemning. It's not why did you, why didn't you eat this or what, you know, what happened? And believe me, I have been there. I have fallen off. I am not a perfect parent. I have had a crummy day myself and, and gotten down and on my kids and absolutely have done that. And you watch their demeanor just go down. Just try and take a deep, that's why the deep breath and the taking a step back for a minute, everybody have a snack, <laughs> calm down a minute, take a step back. Hey, Claire, what happened at lunch today? And it could be, I got chit chatty with my friend. It could be, um, we didn't have enough time. And I hate it when that happens because it's not the kid's fault, but sometimes it is that they just didn't have enough time. Or um, it, in most of the time in my kid's case, it's usually they got chatty. <laughs> um, I think that's pretty common in my kids, case, especially with my older kids, they're, they're packing their own lunches. So they're getting what they want anyway. So it's not like they're packing stuff that they don't like, and they are not going to eat it. The elementary school kid might have something in there that maybe they're not particularly care for. I know I usually open them the lunch box and say, Hey, is there anything in here that you're like skeptical of? Um, or should we swap out or whatever? So usually it's not, and they're going to school with stuff that they like, but usually it's, Oh, I got chatty and ran out of time, right? Okay. So you help them make that connection at that point. So remember you got in the car and you got, you had kind of a, it, you got really upset and you felt kind of out of control and um, it, that's really hard, right? And so you kind of empathize with their emotions a little bit. And then you say, you know what? Sometimes 
what happens is our bodies didn't get enough fuel during the day and you're working so hard at school. You're running around on the playground. You're running around at recess. You're thinking so hard in that math class and your body needs fuel. It needs carbohydrates. It needs fat and it needs protein. And I noticed in your lunch that you didn't eat this or that. And sometimes that fuel can make all the difference in you being able to function in your day. You've got to feed your organs. You've got to feed your brain. And so that's how that conversation can go. With my teens, it's going to be, um, you know, <laughs> this was something that we've actually had to work on in the last couple of years because I think in middle school, things are a little bit more um, on the go for the kids. They're a little bit more responsible for their own stuff. They're moving from class to class a little bit more and they forget to drink water. That's been an issue in my house, at least, is the hydrating. And so they will... <laughs> They'll get in the car and, you know, either just like they have a headache or they melt down. A sixth graders melt down too, by the way, just like a toddler. And hey, did, hey, I noticed you didn't bring your water bottle today. <laughs> it got left in the car or, you know, at this point with my sixth and eighth graders, like they have, they're responsible for their own things. That's just how we do it in our, in our house to give them that responsibility. So if they left their water bottle, I'm not noticing it and they're, either having to drink from the water fountain or whatever. Um, but even if they took their water bottle to school and I noticed that it's full, I'll mention, hey, that might be why you had that headache earlier. You need to hydrate during the day. Mm -hmm. um, or in, in fact, just this week, my sixth grader came home and she brought her in very, very favorite lunch. Like her favorite lunch is just leftover chili from dinner. It is her very favorite lunch to bring. And it came home full. This does not happen very often. Hey, Claire, what happened? And she was in a crummy mood and I could not figure it out why. And I didn't get to dishes until later. And when I opened up her thermos and saw all the chili in it, I was like, because I would have never guessed that it would have been full because it's her favorite lunch. She chose to bring it. I don't pack her lunch anymore. She sat with some new kid at school and got super chatty and just didn't eat it because it was it took time to take a lid off and use a spoon <laughs> you know they're not thinking about that right yeah. so we had a little conversation hey Claire you remember how you kind of like lost it because this certain thing wasn't right and I won't go into the details about what what it was but you know maybe that wouldn't have felt so hard if you had fed your body just just a little bit. It, it it's hard to have balanced emotions when our blood sugar is junk. When you know, it's hard to have balanced emotions when we're not hydrated. It's hard to have balanced emotions when our minerals are off. So if we're not, you know, having, you know, enough of that mineral balance from getting a good variety of food, um, it's you your your organs need minerals to function. And so if the, if that is all off, if your electrolytes are off and you haven't been eaten, okay, it's nothing, that's not going to work. Yeah. Minerals are the spark plugs of life. Absolutely. So, yeah, well, we, um, I, I love how you're talking about kids figuring out these internal sensations. The technical term for that is interoception. Mm -hmm. And that's when a child you know, we, we develop our skills and our ability to 
figure out what's going on in our body as we get older. And that happens through just like you're saying, these conversations of making those connections. So I think it's- And I didn't learn how to do that till I was probably late twenties. None of us did. We didn't learn that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately. (laughs) Can we jump back to lunches real quick if it's possible? And let's talk about like, okay, so your, your older kids are making their own lunches. So they're making stuff Mm -hmm. that they, they're making food that they like to eat. What do you do if your child have, okay. Have any of them ever been made fun of for the lunches that they're bringing do they realize that their lunches are different than the other kids or what, like you said, you know, she came home with her lunch uneaten and it was because she was chatty. So maybe that's the majority of the reason Mm -hmm. why she's coming home with food that's uneaten. But if you, have you ever had an experience where one of your kids comes home with their food uneaten and it's because maybe they were made fun of because of that food or. Right. I will preface just by saying, I do think it's maybe a little bit different in the, in the environment that my kids are in just because there is no hot lunch program. Um, it's a, it's a small public charter and, um, there is actually a low sugar policy. So if you can believe that it's very rare, I know. So a lot of the kids are bringing healthier foods. It's not perfect. Clearly Domino's day is not my favorite. Um, And, you know, that's the only day that outside food is coming. And there are kids that bring, you know, Lunchables and and things like that. It's not all healthy, but I do think they're kind of sheltered from um, the vast majority of what it could be in a normal public middle school or whatever. Um, So I will say that. I don't know that they're getting as much bombardment as they do. However, they have gotten, and I would say it actually happened more from kindergarten to third grade to be quite honest with you, because in the most of it is because those kids are just so darn curious. They're, they're just curious. If they've never seen spinach before, they're going to ask, or they've never seen a thermos before and they don't eat soup at home. They're just going to ask because they're curious. Um, and it's not even done with a mean spirit or unintentionally it's, it, it, or it's done unintentionally. They just, they're just purely curious. Um, I actually haven't had my middle schoolers say that the kids have made fun of food. I have had my middle schoolers ask to not bring certain things. We have uh, we have what we call at home foods. So it's just certain foods that they prefer. Like they have a wide enough palate and enough foods that they can bring to school that if they don't want to bring, I, one of my girls doesn't want to bring uh, hard boiled eggs to school anymore because they just stink. They just, when you open your lunchbox <laughs> and it's like boiled egg, right? It just doesn't smell very nice. My now this same, the same way. Yeah. <laughs> now my, this same kid though, every school year I ask her, are you sure? Do you want to take tuna salad with her? It's her favorite food. Do you want to take tuna salad with you? And she says, absolutely. And I'll say, are you sure? Like, you know, it's not, I know it doesn't smell the greatest. Yeah, but it's my favorite food. She doesn't give any, any cares in the world. The <laughs> egg she cares about, the tuna fish she doesn't. So I, you know what? We're going to pick our battles there, right? She doesn't take a hard-boiled egg. Now, she will, <laughs> she'll take egg salad. <laughs> so, I mean, what's the difference? I have no idea, right? I know. So I, you know, I, uh, we have a few like liver pate. They love liver pate. I'm not going to do that to them. I'm not going to send sardines in their lunch. I, you know, we'll do that kind of stuff at home. I'm not going to do that to them. 
Um, I'm laughing because I'm will. a mom. <laughs> it's totally fine. You do you, girl. <laughs> well, so I'm at if the they point want where... It, if they asked for it, I'm all for it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably not on their list of very favorites. They'll eat it and they like it and they, you know, enjoy it at home. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. So funny. No, I was just going to say my yeah. middle child loves it. Um, my six year old. And I mean, she doesn't care. I put it in her lunch and she devours it. It's always gone. That's awesome. Um, my older, he likes it, but he's at that age where he's like, please don't send this to school. Yeah. People are asking me what this is. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's completely fine. So we have at home foods and that's, um, that's how we deal with that. I, I like the, that the older girls, um, the older girls will pack their lunches sort of based on what I'm packing for my nine-year-old. Um, so how I kind of started is right around second and third grade, they start packing their own morning snack. They have to bring a morning snack to school. So second and third grade, they're sort of responsible for that. And I have a snack chart actually on the blog um, with snack options. I want to say there's 10, maybe 15 snack choices. And there's a chart and I would put it um, in the pantry and um, they could make their own snacks based on that from between, you know, first and third grade. Um, and, and then right around fifth grade, um, I start having them um, just pack their lunches um, they always have a choice to kind of look in their lunch and like, um, or make requests, certain requests um, and stuff like that. But by fifth grade, um, both of my older girls have started just sort of peeking at what I'm making for little sister and sort of basing their lunchbox either off of that. Or I have noticed my eighth grader pretty much is not following any that following anything that I've been doing. She just has in her mind what she likes. She likes to take dinner leftovers a lot. I think that that's kind of a, com it, I get the feeling that a lot of kids are doing that in her classroom. And so she's just sort of doing that because it's sort of the thing to do in her classroom right now. They, they eat family style in the classroom all together. And um, I think that's sort of what a lot of kids are doing is just bringing thermoses of dinner leftovers. Um, or she likes to bring like a huge salad and just load it up with stuff, you know, hard boiled egg or chicken and nuts and then a bunch of veggies and stuff like that. So um, she she tends to sort of do her own thing, and I sort of trust her. She'll occasionally she'll get she'll let me take a peek and hey, does this look right? And I'll maybe make a suggestion here or there. You know, hey, that doesn't look like. Are you sure that's going to be enough to hold you over until you know you get home from school? Um, but that's kind of how we how you know we've done it. My sixth grader is only like a year into this, so she's pretty much copying everything I do in my youngest's lunchbox. Um, don't ask me how I'm going to do my youngest when she gets to fifth grade. I'm just not there yet. <laughs> just, we'll just, we'll just, we'll fly by the seat of our pants and we'll figure that out when she gets there. She tends to be super, super independent on her own anyway, because she's had to be those, those like third borns and on, I think just sort of have learned to um, pick up all the pieces and figure it out for themselves by default. So she's probably learning along the way um, and she'll figure that out when she starts making her own lunch. So, All right. So let's move on and talk a little bit about budgeting. And, sure. you know, there's a joke going around that you have to take out a second mortgage to 
feed your teens and <laughs> tweens. And I'm wondering, have you experienced that? And uh, do you have any, you know, how do you feed your kids real food without breaking the bank, basically? Sure, sure. Actually, I would say that I have gotten simpler um, when it comes to that because they are eating more. Um, because I had to figure out how to get it into the budget. So, for example, I would rather get a pack of chicken and grill that up or get a whole chicken and roast that up and chop it up and have that as an option in the fridge than buy a bunch of overpriced protein bars or the next fad that's sitting in Trader Joe's, the little boxes that have like four bars in it that my kids are going to eat in one sitting. Like I, I, I can't afford to do that. They're cool. They've got decent ingredients maybe even, but I have just gotten simpler. So more meat on the plate and potatoes, root vegetables are super cheap, right? Um, getting a huge squash is super cheap. Making sure that those kind of things are on the plate um, and just making and just keeping it simple, real whole food. I am not making fancy, you know, we'll, we'll make, we make our own granola. I'm not going out and buying a $10 bag of granola. I, it's just silly when you can throw it on a sheet pan with ingredients that cost half the price. You know, it's a upfront cost when you have to buy all the ingredients at first, but it makes multiple batches for them. So I'm keeping things super simple. I'd rather them scramble a couple of eggs um, than than them grabbing for these elaborate, fancy, like real food, quote unquote, real food snacks that you find at the store. Um, so just stop, stop overthinking it. Let, let's go with real whole food. Let them teach them how to scramble up some eggs. I, I, I keep going back to eggs. I know eggs are kind of a budget thing right now. Hopefully that doesn't like continue to be a thing. I know that they're kind of expensive right now. Um, but chicken and, and things like that. Side note, let me just cut in on a side note yeah. about the eggs. All of my local farmers are selling a dozen eggs for like $5, which right. seemed right. expensive last year. Right. But now at right. when a dozen eggs yeah. is $7 in the store, go to your local farms guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I would say that we're probably in about the same boat as that is uh, with that as well. Um, I guess I, I just stopped overthinking because they are eating more food. So, but here's what I've found, I, you know, when they're, when they're eating real nutrient dense, um, whole foods, they're fuller, longer, they're more satiated instead of the snacks that are kind of empty calories that you're going to find at the store that are, you know, maybe like satiated for 10 or 15 minutes and, you know, give them that feeling like they got to eat, but then they're hungry like an hour later. Um, so I guess I've just, um, you know, keeping it simple is helping, is helping the budget. What else did you say about the budget? I'll pause, I'll pause there. Cause I didn't. Uh, I think that was it. That was the question. Okay. I thought there yeah. was something else. Yeah. It was just, ask. how do you, how do you feed your kids real food without breaking the bank basically? Right. I guess the last thing I would say is do what you can within your budget um, without going broke. It's, it's not worth it going broke. So I have, I have two, two uh, points to go with that. 
number one, you know, we were willing to make some sacrifices in order to afford things that we wanted to be able to have in our, in our refrigerator. I, we don't have cable, you know, that's a, that's a budget saver. That's something that some people are willing to do. Some people aren't, I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else for doing that. It's just something we chose to do. There's certain things, you know, we don't go on vacations every month. We'll go, you know, once a year, just like little things like that. That's not going to be within everybody's lifestyle choices. With that said, um, I also would say it's okay to buy conventional food sometimes. You don't have to buy 100% organic. Don't go broke. We want to do what we can. I try and stay within the clean 15, dirty dozen sort of a thing. But uh, I would rather you buy, you know, the non-organic uh, fruits and vegetables or whatever at the, the grocery store than not buy them at all and buy a bunch of junk. You know, I, yeah. you know, so I would rather, I would rather see you buy that conventional squash and make a soup out of that, that will stretch for multiple meals, um, then go and buy the organic and, and then, well, I guess you could go two ways on that. I would, I would rather you buy the conventional squash and make a soup than buy the organic and go broke or, you know, not go broke, but if you're constantly buying with, out of your food budget and it's not working and you're, you know, really stretching yourself thin, that's going to cause a lot of stress in your home. But I'd also rather you buy that conventional squash and make the soup than buy a bunch of junk over here that's not going to satisfy your family. Um, so that's kind of where we stand on that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think. Yeah hands down, the real food will keep you full longer than the package of Doritos or popcorn. I don't know. Absolutely. I mean, make the hamburgers and instead of doing the chips, just, just bake up like roast up. There's a great recipe on the, on the blog for just sheet pan French fries. I mean, these things, the kids will devour the entire sheet pan and they will be fuller because there's just more fiber within the um the an actual real potato versus a potato chip most likely fried in a junk oil that's going to send their body into inflammation do we do some potato chips every once in a while absolutely um but i'm more likely to throw sweet potatoes or regular white potatoes on a sheet pan and make some french fries or roasted um and and it just will keep them fuller longer and it's super cheap yeah that's that's kind of where I fall too. at the point where I'm like, buy the best you can. And I mean, we live in a town now. We just, we moved from Maryland um, a couple months okay. ago um, to really rural um, coastal Georgia. And we have a grocery okay. store that's right around the corner, but it is like a, a grocery store I've never been to. <laughs> like it is, it, okay. it is an experience. Like they sell guns and ammo in the grocery store. <laughs> It is wild. Anyway, um, but like there's literally nothing organic in this grocery store. There is okay. every single thing is conventional. There is nothing um, gluten free unless it's like, you know, a naturally occurring gluten free thing. Um, like there's just it. you walk in there and you're like, I, I get a little panicky because I'm like, what am I going to feed my family from this place? Sure. Um, and then you kind of 
I don't shop there all the time, but it's a, it's a place that I go to if I need something really quickly. Um, cause sure. the other grocery stores are 30 minutes away. So <laughs> this is one of those places where I walk in, I'm like, okay, like just don't freak out about, you know, the fact that you're going to buy non-organic potatoes, right. just stop yep. freaking out about it. Just, yep. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Wash them up and call it. Good. Right. It's, it's okay. Totally it's all right. You're going right. to be okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Um, okay. Let's move on from that and move into some sort of parenting related questions if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, what are some boundaries, um, or limits that you try and set when it comes to food, if there are any, um, with your kids or, um, and, and especially now that your kids, you know, are older and more independent, like if they're going out without you or they're going to a birthday party, do you try and like coach them around through whatever that's, you know, they're going to encounter or do you just kind of say free for all. And when you come home, we'll detox. (laughs) (laughs) I, I really do think it's probably a good idea. At least I've seen it work in my house to let the kids um, feel a bellyache, to let the kids kind of make their choices and then feel the consequences a little bit. So I would say when the kids were really, really little, I'm talking toddlers, uh, maybe to age four or five till they, till they got to school. Okay. I was making their decisions for them. For the most part, we went to a birthday party. I remember as toddlers, I would bring them a treat. um, Or we would have the cupcakes, but I would cut it in half or I would scrape some of the frosting off. Or, you know, just, you know, I take the goodie bag and take a few of the pieces of candy out. You know what I mean? When they're really little. When they get past that, like, remember I said, you can't really reason with age two. Okay. When they get past that, you can kind of reason with them a little bit. Let's start talking about the birthday party before we go to the birthday party. Hey, listen, I am so excited to come to the birthday party with you. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to play this game and um, we're going to go swimming in the pool and they're probably going to have pizza there and some cupcakes. And what do you think about that? Do you want that or do you want to bring something from home? Most of the time, the five-year-old is going to say, yeah, I really want to have that cupcake. Okay, that's great. It sounds so good. I'm sure it's going to taste really yummy. I just want to let you know that um, it's not going to be the kind of cupcakes that we make at home most likely, you know, sometimes I feel like because we've, we've made things at our house, you know, on the healthier side, they think all things are like that. And it's just not that way. Right. And so I'll just say, um, you know what, when you get full or when you get tired of eating that cupcake, or it feels like your body is ready to stop, it's okay if you throw it away. Okay. Cause I was always taught you clean your plate, right? You don't waste food. You don't, throw food away. Don't waste it. There's kids that are starving in, you know, other third world (laughs) countries. Don't throw food away. I want my kids to know that when their body says stop, you stop. Okay. Even if that means we're going to throw the cupcake away after a bite. And I would rather them do that than eat the whole thing and get a stomach ache. My youngest went to her very first birthday party in, um, like not, 
well, she'd been to birthday parties before, but she went to her first school birthday party in kindergarten, uh, young fives. So she was like barely five, um, went to this birthday party and they had, um, pizza hut pizza and the brightest blue birthday cake you have ever seen in your life. These kids mouths looked like a smurf. I mean, and cause we're talking about five, barely five-year-olds here. So it's not like it's being contained to their mouth and their tongue. It's like all over their faces. <laughs> She ate two pieces of Pizza Hut pizza. Like that Pizza Hut pizza is huge, right? Like, do you remember Pizza Hut pizza? This stuff is yeah. big. And they had swam for like two hours. So she's starving. Oh. We had had the conversation. You know, I even told her, I'll have some snacks in my purse. If you, you know, decide that you don't like the pizza or you don't like the cupcake or whatever, I've got some stuff. If, if you, you know, whatever. she ate the pizza she ate the cupcake and she had the worst stomach ache that evening. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like after the first pizza, pizza, piece of pizza, I, I asked her, are you sure I have some other stuff? If you're tired of the pizza, you know, Nope. I want the pizza. And I, you know, she's kind of one of those kids too, where you, you, every kid is a little bit different. If that had been my firstborn, she probably would have said, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll go with what you think is probably right, mom. That's a firstborn for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> my secondborn would have done it just to spite me. She would have done it just to, just to throw me off. Just because she knew that it was a no at home, she would have done it just because. And then my third one is just sort of like, I just want to see what it's going to do. And so she did. She ate it and she got super sick. And she's... Um, really careful now. And I, you know, it was, it literally took her one time. And I don't think, you know, she's been to birth, multiple birthday parties since, and she will have a couple bites of the cupcake and be done because it really is that sweet. Um, I know my middle schoolers say on Domino's pizza day that it actually turns their stomach, the smell of it, because it's so strong. The pizza smell in their classroom is so strong. It sort of turns their stomach. Um, they actually had, uh, a contest. I don't know if it's called a contest, maybe more. It sounded more like bribing to me for, for good behavior. They had this thing where you get certain points. And if you had certain points by the end of the week, you got to have free pizza on pizza day. And my middle one is super competitive. And so she was all over that. And I'm thinking in my head, are we doing this every week? And she's going to get this pizza every week. And she is my one. In my head, I'm thinking she's my one that's going to eat it. My firstborn wouldn't even touch it. She wouldn't even think about it because she's such a rule follower. My second born absolutely would. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking she's going to eat this pizza. Um, so she comes home and she says, yep, I got all of my points. I said, oh, how was the pizza? You know? Well, I didn't eat the pizza. And I said, well, why didn't you eat the pizza? I thought you said that if you got the most points, you got to eat pizza. She said, well, I told her that I didn't want the pizza because I didn't want to get a stomach ache. And she let her get something in the school store instead, which I thought that I, I appreciate the, the teacher giving her another reward because she earned it. Um, but she, she, she made the choice. And it's I think it is because I've let her go to the friends' houses and I've let her make some of those choices and feel some of those stomach aches because she is, you know, all of them have felt that before. And if you help make them body aware, if you help them to connect those dots and make that connection, um, you're going to see the battle in their brains. I've seen them at birthday parties 
Um, in particular, sometimes when we go to family birthday parties where I'm still there, you know, my older kids are at to the point now where it's kind of drop off and go. But now, it's, you know, if I, I've seen the battle in their mind, you know, do I want to do this? I decided I didn't want to do it, but it really looks good and I really want to try it. Hey, it's not a problem to take a bite and be curious. But, you know, when your body says it's time to be done, let's be done. And it's okay if you throw it away. Christine, I feel like you have something to say on that one. <laughs> okay. No, I love that. I think um, I, I think it's really important to let them experiment and figure out for themselves what works for their bodies and how it feels when they eat certain foods. Um, I, I totally agree with that. And when they know um, what good feels like, you know, I don't yeah. think most adults even know what good feels like. Do you know what really good feels like? Yeah. Because brain fog is not normal. Right. Not knowing where you laid your keys, that's not normal. Feeling sleepy at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, that's not normal. Yeah. Some people think that that's normal and it's just not. Do you know what normal really feel or good really feels like? And I think when you start, though, you know, again, to the young moms, I think when you start young and they know what good feels like and you are being a little bit more on the, I don't want to use the word controlling because it's not. It's just you're, you're monitoring a little bit more when they're little, when they go to parties. They know what good feels like. And then when they get just a little bit older into elementary school and, and you let them to start spreading their wings a little bit and feeling that, to feel, feel what a sugar spike feels like. That It's not fun when you crash down from a sugar spike. Help them make that connection when they um, you know, start to feel really sleepy or they get the headache. Um, one of my girls had, actually it was the one that had the really bright blue birthday cupcake. Her pee turned like purple. It was like the weirdest color. Like that day, it had turned her pee a weird oh color when God. she went to the bathroom. It freaked her right out. Oh. And so we talked about food dyes. We talked about like, this is going in your body. And let's talk about how food dyes were made. Like, like this is a chemical. Yeah. Like it's, it's not something you really want to put in your body. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, those are really good conversations to have. Um, with your kids earlier than maybe you think you can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, man, I love that. Okay. And so, constantly too. Yeah. Oh, true. yeah. I was just, just going to add constantly. Just keep talking about it, bring it up in different ways. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. No. Um, so I guess I don't, this is not food related, but um, I am curious about this because my kids are constantly, every Christmas and every birthday, we get this question, can I have a phone for, <laughs> can I get a phone? I'm like, no. Um, but <laughs> I'm curious yeah. if you guys have um, boundaries or if you've, you've decided what you're doing sure. with that. Like, do your kids have phones? What's your view on screens, social media, that Um, kind of thing with your kids, especially this age, because this is an age where everybody's like, well, they have to have a phone so they can call me or, you know, all their friends are on social media and I don't want to keep them from that. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. And you know what, like this, we're we're kind of pioneers in all of this, right? Because we didn't have to go through this at all. I don't know. You guys are a little bit younger than me. I didn't get my first phone until I was in college. So I was um, not allowed to have a phone until I got a driver's license. And even then it was just like a flip phone, just in case I got into an accident or something. 
Yeah. Like a new yeah. Nokia so is, brick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Nokia. Wait, side note really fast. We I had a sitter over earlier this week and my, it wasn't my normal sitter. And she actually had a flip phone and my son commented on it and he said, did you see her phone? <laughs> she couldn't take a picture on it. She couldn't get on the internet. All she could do was just text message and it was really weird. Oh, and I, love I was it. just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't even have text messaging. I was, my parents were like, absolutely not. I'm not, it was also oh. really expensive to text back then. If you remember, sure, it was like sure. a penny a text it, or something. <laughs> Oh, oh I, mean, I remember because in I high did. school one time I racked up the phone bill. It was like four hundred dollars <gasps> because I oh, texted, man. you know, oh, no. I was texting my boyfriend <laughs> who's now my husband. But <laughs> worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Hashtag absolutely. <laughs> oh man, I'm feeling anyway. pretty old at this point because my first phone was in college, and then I, um, my first, well. My first actual phone was uh, like with my first job at the hospital. They gave me a BlackBerry, and I felt pretty pretty special with that. Oh, the so, BlackBerry. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> no, we have actually um, the, uh, the girls do not have phones. Um, I we have not. We're sort of taking that one year at a time. Um, it's probably going to be when they are. It's going to most likely be when they're driving um, that I can see. They do not have social media at this point. We do talk a lot about social media. Clearly, their mother is on the social media and like, but we, we, it is a tool and it's a very positive and very powerful tool. And so the way that we talk about it in my house is that, um, listen, if adults have a hard time with scrolling habits and adults have a hard time with mental health, looking at social media all the time, how much more so is that for a teenager who doesn't have the prefrontal cortex completely developed yet, right? Um, they're not watching me scroll. They're watching me work on social media. So I make that very clear distinction that that's what I'm using social media for. Sure, I get on and scroll every once in a while. Um, but but it's, not, um, it's not something that's, um, they're all of their friends uh do even in the more um uh, i would say is a it's a different school environment than a normal public middle school but even those kids do have um most of the kids have phones um we do get asked about having a phone we actually just got our first tablet (laughs) we are in the dark ages we just got our first tablet and actually the tablet was meant because my 13-year-old, we're kind of at this really weird point where the kind of shows that I'm allowing my 13-year-old to watch, I'm just not ready for my nine-year-old to be watching yet. Or, you know, it's not like she's watching really bad stuff, but it's just like, it's just different. But my 13-year-old doesn't want to watch PBS Kids anymore, or she doesn't, you know, my 13-year-old doesn't want to watch what my nine-year-old's watching. So we just got a different device just so that we can kind of like, if if they're having screen time or TV time, they can be sort of watching what they want to watch at their age level. Um, so we don't, it, we're not making a really huge deal out of screens at this point. Um, we do talk about social media. We do talk about um, cyberbullying and um, they use our phones so they know how to use a phone because that's a weird thing too, right? Like they don't have, we don't have like a phone sitting on the wall like we did um, growing up. So like, you know, they know how to use the phone. We work on using the phone. They know how to use computers and stuff like that. Um, 
probably even more so with you know how the the previous three years before this went when they had to like learn how to do all of their school on a computer um uh during covid and such like that I, in fact that was the first time um we got we had to get email for my oldest at that point so she could communicate with her teacher and it was the fir the first time that my she was in kindergarten and at our school in a Montessori setting, they don't typically introduce technology until like second grade. And so, but she had to learn how to use a mouse. She had didn't even know how to use a mouse at that point. Cause we just, we just don't use a whole lot of screens around here, but um, yeah, that's kind of where our boundaries are. And that doesn't have to be um, what, what your boundaries are or what anybody else listening, that's just ha what has worked for us. Yeah. Um, my kids have, my two older kids have computers and we bought them for them. Um, they're like laptops, but they have very strict, um, sure. uh, whatever those parent control things on them. Yeah. And yep. they use them almost exclusively for listening to audiobooks or sure. playing, um, like there's a math game called prodigy that they play. Yep. And, and my then, kids play Prodigy. They love that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, sure. And then like, there's a couple other things that they use for school where they're like all their, all their, um, cause my kids are homeschooled. So all of their yeah. instructional videos for um, their math curriculums yeah. are on yeah, their absolutely. computers and like they have their language arts program or their um, foreign language programs on the computers. But I mean, they don't, they don't have free range of the internet. They don't have, right. um, you know, access to uh, normal YouTube. They don't have, um, sure. I don't know, all those other sure. things. They don't have social I mean, it's media. a part of our lives, right? Like the computers yeah, aren't going it anywhere. Is. They have to right. know how to use them. I have shown the girls how to use YouTube in a safe way because, because the kid, you know, by the time you get to 13, the kid, the kids are talking about YouTube or what they saw on this or what they saw on that. Right. And so I am allowing them some of those things to like look them up, but like, let's talk about how we look things up. Let's talk about, you know, when you see something that you looked up that seemed innocent, but it came up and it's inappropriate. Like, let's, let's talk about that. So um, just lots of, lots of conversations. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I didn't, I didn't even think about that, about kids just looking something up on YouTube. And obviously YouTube just offers you a whole right. slew of options. Right. So we've just talked about certain words and how, how to look things up. Or if you're not sure how to look something up that you want, like my, my middle one does a lot of drawing. And so she'll look up, um, you know, how to draw cute bears or something like that. But like, let's talk about how to look things up because you can very innocently look up how or cute, whatever, and something doesn't come up right. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. it's just <laughs> being proactive, I guess. That's a really good point. Yeah. My oldest right now is really into sports and he's figured out that he can ask Siri anything. So he'll just ask <laughs> Siri, what, what was the score for the Cowboys versus Bengals game? And, and then he'll just do this over and over and over again and get like the scores for all, all of the games. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Nothing wrong with that. Oh. <laughs> Unless it's a really obnoxious thing that's happening. I mean, yeah, do that in the other room. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's sometimes it's really annoying. Yeah, so anyway. 
Okay. Um, I actually have two more questions for you, and I think that we can sure. maybe wrap it up after that. Um, sure. The first one is um, not on our list of questions, so sorry again. That's but okay. <laughs> I know no, on no. your social media, on your Instagram, you talk a lot about making sure that um, you know you as the mom are um, well nourished and well prepared for your day. And yeah. honestly, when I have been, you know, reading your posts, especially my youngest is um, two and a half. So I was, you know, dead in the middle of, um, I had a two and a half year old and a, and a newborn. And then the two older ones all in the <laughs> middle of the craziness of 2020 and sure. um, feeding myself was not like anywhere near the <laughs> top of the priority list. But every time I'd get to your post, it'd be like, okay, mama, you know, this is, you yeah. have to make sure that you're taking care of you. Those were so um, helpful, impactful. And um, it, your heart is yeah. so clear. You know, it's just so obvious that you just have this heart for, for moms and for women who are going through these, these times yeah. that are, that are hard. And I just want to say thank you for that. But also would you touch wow. on, um, <laughs> On, on how you're fueling yourself. Sure. Um, well, I, first of all, I appreciate that because those words came from a mom that wasn't nourishing herself and saw what it did when I did nourish myself. You know how they say that experience is the best teacher or something like that. Um, because I knew how crummy I felt. It's that whole question again, do you know how good, what good really feels like? And I actually did know what good really felt like before kids because I had kind of gotten through some of my healing um, from the thyroid stuff that I had going on. So I did know what good felt like and I knew I wasn't thriving. Um, and there's a there's an element of survival mode with young moms and that and that's okay. Um, but you got to figure out how to get over that hump and, and do that whole like put the oxygen mask to yourself. Um, before the kids, because if you pass out, no, nobody else is going to be taken care of. Um, so these days, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not doing the 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 toddler thing anymore. So I would say um, I've got it pretty easy right now. Although, you know, it's a different kind of busy with teenagers um, and older kids. There's just more activities. I'm actually away from my home now more um, than I was when the girls were little, because when they were little, you know, you had naps and you had, <laughs> um, they were just at home, you were just at home a little bit more. So I did actually have more time in the kitchen than I do right now. Um, I work more than I did back then as well. This, this thing has, you know, what I do now, the writing and the, you know, all of that has, has blossomed into something that, you know, we rely on for an income. It's not just a hobby anymore. And so I am working more and I, um, you know, my girls are busier with outside extracurricular activities more. So we are busy. Um, I have found that um, as much as I don't want to say that I'm a meal planner because I never was a meal planner before, I have become more of a meal planner. And it's not necessarily I'm literally writing down every meal. It's more of a, I have a framework to make sure that I have enough food in the fridge to get us through however many days. Um, and so did you want to know like exactly what I'm eating right now? Or do you want to know like how I'm planning out the food? 
we all pretty much eat the same thing for the most part. But, you know, I have like a prep day on Sunday um, where I'm making, you know, like I'll usually, I have a roasted chicken. It used to be that a roasted chicken would be Sunday dinner and then also like a meal or two, you know, when the girls were really little. Nowadays, you know, it's, it's making two. If we're having roasted chicken for Sunday dinner, I'm making two of them if I want leftovers. Um, and if I want to have enough food to get, to get us through the week, um, I'm, you know, breakfasts on the weekends, I'm doubling. I'm never making one pan of muffins. I'm making two. Um, I'm making, normally I'm making one or two pots of soup for the week, something so that I have something to pull from for my breakfasts and lunches. Um, and then also thermoses for the girls. So yeah, go ahead and answer that, I guess. Do you, did you want to know exactly what I'm eating or? Uh, no, I think more just in general, how you're making that a priority and mm-hmm. um, kind of, um, I mean, if you want to give like generalities of what you're eating, like, sure. you know, sure. three eggs. I had someone ask me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had someone the other day ask me, Uh, in a private message, does it ever feel like you're in the kitchen all the time between cooking and making sure the kids are, you know, fed and you're fed and then cleaning the kitchen after you're cooking and, and whatnot. And I I have two ways of looking at that. Um, It's kind of like a yes and no. Yes, sometimes I do feel like I'm in the kitchen. But I also think that we need to change what our idea of being in the kitchen a lot looks like because for me when when I grew up you know my mom was in the kitchen some but it wasn't um well first of all she I don't know that she ever really enjoyed it it was looked at as a a task to get done and over with and make sure the kids were fed and throw this box in here to warm it up and whatever um I think we need to change our perspective of the kitchen and be okay with being in the kitchen to nourish our families. That said, we do lead busy, modern lives that, and and that doesn't change. So that's like why, um, you know, one of my focuses on the blog is feeding real food families in the real world, because the real world we live in is that we are, we do have, you know, the moms are working. This isn't, you know, like our great grandparents time where the moms were at home all day and um, able to be in the kitchen all the time. Um, We do have extracurricular activities. Now we choose to tailor that back, I think, compared to the average American household. My kids aren't in multiple uh, extracurricular activities because I also think that there is a balance there of making sure that we remind ourselves that they're they're kids. They're not many adults. They don't need to be pulled in a thousand different directions. They need unstructured play and they need to, you know, not have constant stimulation and constantly being told what to do and have every minute of their lives scheduled. Um, so I guess what I'm getting at there is, you know, yeah, I'm in, I, I am in the kitchen, but I'm trying to be smart with my time in the kitchen. So, um, Yes, I'm homemaking some things. I'll have a prep day once a month where we'll do, you know, like I said, granola, or we'll make a couple snacks for the pantry. Um, you know, <laughs> quite frankly, Costco is a little bit of a game changer in my in my world, just because I I do ha- we do have some packaged snacks 
uh, in our pantry. We do have some things that, you know, we've been able to get from Costco that make it so that I don't, I don't make homemade gluten-free bread every week. I, I, I don't have time for that. So I'm picking and choosing, um, like where we're going to spend our kitchen time. Um, gluten-free bread, I have completely given up on. It's a pain in the butt. It doesn't work. It, <laughs> I don't care how, I mean, maybe someone out there has got a great recipe. Honestly, we would go through, we go through one gluten-free loaf with my crew in like one sitting. I mean, because gluten-free bread is so small. But like, I'm not going to sit there and make gluten-free bread every week. I am going to buy that because it's mostly the same ingredients. So I'm going to buy that. But I am going to home make some broth and save that money and not buy carton broth. Every once in a while, we've gone through a season where I've gotten carton broth because I've just not been, I didn't have the kitchen time to make, even even though it's super easy and it's, it's pretty time efficient. Um, I just, you know, when you're puking your guts out pregnant with your third baby and you've got two toddlers running all over the place, sometimes making bone broth is going to make you throw up. So, you know, you buy the carton broth. Um, Wait, what yeah. type of gluten-free bread do you get at Costco? Just gonna, for those that uh, might be interested. Sure. The Canyon Bakehouse is what they're, it's whatever oh, they're, yeah. it's whatever they're yeah, carrying. Yeah. For a while there, it was this, um, I want to say it was like France or something. We loved that one. They're doing the Canyon Bakehouse right now, which is okay. Yeah. Um, it's not our favorite. We don't do a ton of bread anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll get, I'll, they come in like a two pack. So I'll get like one of those. I go to Costco once a month. So I'll get like one of those two packs of breads mm-hmm. um, like every month. Sometimes I'll get a couple, but um, yeah. Um. I guess, does that answer that? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So then the last question that we have is, um, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would share with um, parents of this teen age or tween age group? So the like, what are we saying? Nine to 13. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I feel like tween is a new term too. Is that new? It is. I don't feel like that's better. I mean, that wasn't really around when we were around. I think they're saying tween, like it's definitely not, it's, it's like they're dipping their toes into wanting to be independent, but they're still going to play with the Legos. You know, my, my 11 year old will still go downstairs with my nine year old and play with the calico critters and like be in a completely <laughs> different world. So, but, and yet she really wants her independence and wants me to treat her like an, you know, an older teenager as well. So it's, I think they're saying tween meaning it's, it's in, it's really in between that kid and teenager and you'll be able to see it. Um, You'll absolutely be able to see it when you're there. When I saw that question, I wasn't sure if you were wanting parenting or food. So I actually have two pieces of advice. So perfect. I, I was going to say, I'll, I'll start with food advice for the tweens and teens. My biggest piece of advice is to help them become body aware. And we talked about that earlier, is if you can help them um, and empower them um, with being able to know what their body is telling them and be able to connect the dots. And, and it does start young, but if you didn't start young, that's okay. You can do it now, but help them become body aware. And I, you know, I obviously don't have boys, but when it comes to the girls, um, 
you know, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't ever told, I mean, I'm going to dive right into it. I was never told anything about what might to expect with a cycle, uh, with having a period, with having, having all of these hormonal fluctuations and things that happen with your cycle. Sit down with a calendar and show the girls what that means. Like, like you are going to feel like an absolute roller coaster during the, you know, once they get into their cycle. So, so you know what? And it's okay. You're going to want a square of dark chocolate during these couple of days before you start your period. And you know what? It's fine. It's okay. You know, you know what? You're going to feel a little extra tired the first couple of days of your period. That's okay. Let's get in a bath. Let's read a book. Let's go to bed a little bit earlier. Um, it's your hormone. So I feel like if they don't feel out of control, they're going to feel like they know what their body is doing. It's not so scary. And it doesn't feel like they are just on this roller coaster of, I don't know what's going to happen. Help them figure out how to cycle or how to track their cycle, what to know, what to expect in their energy levels, what to expect in their moods so that maybe they avoid the, you know, situations that might set them off if they're going to be a little bit more crabby or whatnot. Um, but then also like what, you know, from a food standpoint, how that will, um, the food will affect how they're feeling, um, you know, aside from the girl stuff, the boys too, they can, they, if, if they're, if they're into sports, you said your one son is really into sport. You want food that's going to help them or, you know, you talk to him, Hey, listen, you want to be the fastest running back on the team. This is what's going to fuel your body. Your muscles are growing and changing so much right now. And this is what muscles are made of. And so this is what we need to fuel them with. So helping them make that connection, but relating it to their, their world and what, like give them the why, because if they don't have the why, um, they don't care if you don't relate it to them and their why. So I guess that's from a food standpoint. And then from a parenting standpoint, um, I would say, um, find the middle ground between being their, the authority figure and being their, their best friend. Um, so there's just like this happy medium and you have to find out where your happy medium is because you want them to be able to come to you with every problem. You want them to feel comfortable with coming to you with anything. So you don't want to be like this authority figure that is only an authority figure and they feel scared to come to you because you're, they're going to get punished all the time and they're, they're scared of how you're going to react. But you also don't want to be on this other end of the spectrum where you're always their best friend and they're like, you know, they know they can get away with certain things or, you know, they, they have to know that there are boundaries because you're still in charge. You're still the boss. You're still, they're still kids. They're not many adults. They still have, they're still begging to have some structure. Kids need that structure. They need some routine. They need you to help them figure out where the boundaries are in life because they don't know. They think they know, <laughs> but they don't know. So you have to figure out sort of this like balance between being the, and this is, again, I guess this is my, how we're, my husband and I are approaching it, you know, having fun, being like a fun parent enough that they feel like they can come to you with anything, but also, you know, having the authority part so that they know, like they know where the boundaries are and that you're doing it for their own good. I think, I don't know how many times 
in the last few years with, of having teens that are tweens, teens, whatever you want to call it, that I have said, my job is to help you learn this A, B, and C. Because if you don't, I'm not doing my job okay. Like I, I, my job is to help you to be able to be a contributing citizen of society. And if I don't do this, if, if you don't learn that, you know what, if you don't keep up on your laundry, it's going to pile up and you're not going to have clean underwear for tomorrow. You know, if you don't, uh, you know, whatever. If that's my job is to be, is to do that. But you know what, let's also go, let's have a dance party or let's go have some fun. Um, I will say that the, they do tend to come with us with just about everything. Now, you know what, I, I'm not at 16 to 18 yet. So maybe we need to have a, this conversation again in a few years <laughs> and we'll see where I'm at at that point. Um, so far, so good, I would say on that front is just keeping the communication open and talking about everything, even if it feels uncomfortable for you to talk about because you didn't talk about that kind of stuff with your parents. Um, so that's kind of where I fall on that. I think that's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think I agree. I think that's like a that's a goals situation. I'm not a hundred percent always there, but I think that's where I would strive yeah. to be. Well, I would say that in our household, the opposites attract sort of thing. My husband is the fun parent. Oh yeah, my I'm husband's the, the fun you know, parent for uh, sure. You know, and that that creates a really, really good balance. You know, I'm that I am that type A sort of firstborn female in the family that is just a little bit more structured and wants the room cleaned up before bed every night and, you know, whatever, um, which we don't do, by the way. I, they do have their own bedrooms and they they get to have they, uh, Well, I take that back. They get to have, keep their rooms the way they want it all week. And then on Sundays is a reset. They got to clean up the rooms on Sunday. You have to know how to clean a room and then you can keep it however you want during the week. Um, but my husband is definitely the fun, <laughs> the fun parent. I'm more structured, but we have a good balance. So I think that helps. I think my only, my only rule for their bedroom is generally I'll let them keep it however they want. We have the same sort of situation when you have to pick it up once a week, but <laughs> I know, Christine, I'm pretty sure I've told you this before. I have this one rule where I, there has to be a pathway to the bed. <laughs> because if I have to come in in the middle of the night, I don't want to be tripping over something. That is solid advice. <laughs> Stepping on Legos or right. you know, anything like that. <laughs> my my kids like to hang things from their um, their bedrooms, like the ceiling fan, so that like when yes. it spins around... Yeah. It create, but then I walk in, I'm smacking my face on these creations <laughs> that they like. There's, you know, fairies Absolutely. or whatever that they're hanging from. Them. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think, I think we probably covered. I've we've covered a lot. This has been, yeah, this has been so good yeah. and helpful. And I just cannot say good. thank you enough, Renee. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was um, fun to chat with both of you. It's very fun. I know it's kind of like Corey was talking about fangirling earlier and I'm over here thinking, Oh my gosh, I just talked to Renee from Raising Aww. Generation Nourish. Like, this is so cool. I feel like I've been following you for so long. And... Uh, I appreciate that. 
such an honor. It's it's good to put faces and voices with um, with names that I've seen comments on on stuff for so many years. So I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to say really fast for anybody who's listening. I know we've we've mentioned your your first cookbook, the baby one, but your lunchbox mm-hmm. one is really great too. And yeah. um, the particularly the um, uh, what are they called? They're they're granola bars, but they're the ones that are like copycat ones. Nature's own, nature's own, nature's something. Oh yeah, you know what I'm yeah. talking the about. Nature yeah. the Nature Valley, Valley, that's it. Yeah, like I made the little them. green wrapper. Yes. Yeah. So I made them a weekend ago, and um, my husband who grew up totally, you know, on the standard American diet was yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly right. It tastes just like <laughs> it, it does. It tastes just like it. <laughs> it really does. It's um, so crazy. They're I so know. good. So every yeah, everybody should so buy." both of your cookbooks and anybody who has, um, like if you have a baby shower. And let your teen, let your teens cook out of those cookbooks too, because we do use both in our home. Let your, give your teens a little bit of autonomy and let them kind of pick a few things out of that lunchbox book so they can do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, My my eight year old loves the lunchbox cookbook. He looks through it and then he'll tell me, okay, I want this this week kind of thing. That's perfect. I love it. My nine-year-old will go in and say, okay, well, I'm going to make, she makes the brownies from your website all the time. And oh. they're, they're, she's now decided she's going to start a bakery. And I said, well, you can't just use Renee's recipe because that's like plagiarizing or something. Oh, no, let's partner up. <laughs> I'll have her have call you. You guys call. can work out a contract. That's right. You have to give me a call. <laughs> I love that we need more bakeries like that yeah Yeah. (laughs) um all right well thank you so much I hope you um wait before you go can you tell guests where they can connect with you yeah absolutely um I am probably more uh active on Instagram than I well I you know what I do Facebook too even though Facebook is kind of a pain um but I do, um, you can just do Raising Generation Nourished um, is my handle on Instagram. And uh, Renee Coley is the is my Twitter handle. I don't use Twitter very often. Um, and then just RaisingGenerationNourished.com. I am pretty good about emails and, and DMs. I try and keep it as real um, and personal as, um, as I can within the time limits that I have as a mom too. And then where can people buy your books? So the two books that we're referring to are Nourished Beginnings and The Little Lunchbox. Yeah, um, both books you can find on Amazon as well as Barnes & Noble. If your Barnes & Noble doesn't happen to have it on store shelves, they can always order it. Um, really anywhere where books are sold. You can even have, um, we've had like our local uh, bookstores order it they can um, it's through a publishing company uh, page street so they can really order it um, from any bookstore and have it have it carried and if you have a baby shower to go to definitely definitely give <laughs> the nourished beginnings book that's like i do the same thing christine everybody all of my yeah. cousins and all of my friends because i was the first one to have babies they all get to sure. now have yeah. The knowledge that I wish I had had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like how I, I usually say it's kind of like having me, I'm, I sort of tell my story right there in the book. So it's sort of like having me hold your hand in the kitchen and it's, it's what I wished I had had. Um, 
when I had my babies too. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on Renee. And this was such a wonderful and insightful conversation. I think even like you mentioned, even for those parents that are not in the tween stage yet, you, sure. she gave so many, uh, so much foundational advice for, uh, how to start, start young so that, yeah. you know, your kids are well nourished as they're older. Yeah. But, uh, thank you for coming on and, you know, reminder, please review us on iTunes. If you get a chance, we, Corey and I love comments. We love reading them. We also love DMS. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to, uh, hopefully meet you at in person at some point. Yeah. In the thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. You can find Christine on Instagram at Nourish the Littles and online at nourishthelittles.com. You can find Corey on Instagram at fornutrientsake and online at fornutrientsake.com. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Ancestral Mamas. The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.